do we have to say in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer for it to be answered and be valid? Is there is there something magic to the incantation of saying Jesus' name at the end that makes a prayer work? And if we don't say it, it ain't going to work. And let's talk about that in our Bible talk today. A lot of people get this from the book of John, chapter 14, uh, and we'll, we'll go to verse 13, uh, is, a, is a basic verse. And by the way, let me continue to teach you that um, it is a really bad idea to take one Bible verse and say, here is a theological universal construct. Um, you have to understand the context of it all. But in John 14, 13, Jesus is quoted in the narrative there. And remember, the Bible is a collection of story and narratives. It is not a rule book. It was not written by Americans who think linear thoughts, but it's a it's a story and a narrative. But uh, John 14, 13 says, whatever you ask in my name, and this is Jesus talking, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so because of this verse, quite often, people will say, all right, you have to say in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer or your prayer won't work. As if it's if, as if it's this magic incantation that we must say to conjure up this spirit, supernatural spirit to do what we're asking for to be done. It's like, God, cure all cancer. And you just feel in your spirit that there's a God in heaven that hears that prayer. And he's like, Man, I was going to heal all cancer, but you didn't say in Jesus' name at the end, and therefore I'm not going to answer that prayer. Guys, that is not what this is all about. Um, and to really know what we're talking about, you know, I we again you have to look at the context of a story, and Jesus is wrestling with some religious people here. And, and we can even go, it, it was ver, John 14, 13, and John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, where he's saying, ask in my name and I'll do it. The verse before that in John 14, 12 says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will that person do because I'm going to the Father then he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. So in my name doesn't mean to say an incantation. We can see that Jesus is saying, if you're a follower of me, your life is going to look like my life. And if your life does not look like mine, then you are not a follower of me. And then your prayer is not going to be heard as one of my followers. And so to really understand what we're reading when we read the Bible or really any ancient text is you have to have what is called historical contextualization. You have to understand what the first century writer would have been trying to say and what the first century audience of the, of the New Testament, the Christian New Testament, would have been hearing. And so when Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, that, will, that I will do, the, the the writer who's writing that and the audience who's hearing that wouldn't be thinking, oh, so that's when I, you know, 
I have to say grace before a meal and I have to say in Jesus name or the food's going to make us sick. No, they would not be thinking that. They would have understood that one of the great honors of first century Palestine was to get to be a disciple, a, a, you know, a close in follower of a great teacher. And, and that's what every Jewish mom in that time wanted for their sons was to get to be a disciple of a great teacher. And so if you were a follower of a teacher, then you would do things in the name of that teacher, like, like Saul of Tarsus, um, who, you know, his, his Hebrew name and, uh, and in, in, uh, Greek, he was known as Paul, um, you know, he talks about his credentials. At first, his credentials were, I was a student of the best teacher, Gamaliel. And so he would have been known as a Gamalelian. He would have followed the teachings of Gamaliel. And he would do things in the name of Gamaliel. So if, if you're a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian, that means you look Christ-like. You're, you're striving to live the life that Jesus modeled and taught about, even though sometimes it doesn't look very much like that in Christianity in America today. So it doesn't mean you you peg a magic incantation on the end of a sentence to make it an official prayer. No, it means you, you bring what's in your heart to bring before the divine goodness and divine spirit of heaven through living a life that looks like your teacher. I am a Christian. I look like Christ. And so people who like, your life looks nothing like Christ, but you think you say a magic prayer to be saved, and then you tag in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer, and therefore good things are going to happen. That is a complete misunderstanding of this pa passage, particularly when Jesus himself said uh, in the verse right before that, um, you know, whoever believes in me, whoever comes in my name, he's saying, will also do the works that I do. And then he goes on to say, and greater works than me, you will do. I have people all the time say, oh, are you comparing yourself to Christ? And I say, yeah, first off, if you call yourself a Christian, that means you are comparing yourself to Christ. You're saying my life should look something like the life modeled and taught by Jesus. And if it doesn't, you're not a follower of Jesus. And uh, and then secondly, Jesus not only said, you're going to do what I did, but you're going to do greater things than I did because I'm going to be in heaven as a divine spirit bringing this goodness down to you. So this is not in Jesus' name as a magic tag to make your prayer valid. It means I'm praying with the heart that looks like the teacher that I follow. And we can shed some more light on that when we look in the book of James, and James was written by Jesus' brother, um, and, and he says, uh, when you ask or when you pray, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So he, he doesn't say pray in Jesus' name or, or else. He says to pray in Jesus' name means you pray with motives that are in alignment with the life displayed and taught by Jesus. So I, I showed a video this week of a, a Christian woman and her young son on a podcast, and they were so bummed because they had been praying the death angel would visit the Capitol. And they were like, oh, it didn't happen in May like we told you it was going to. So we're so disappointed that the people that we were praying to have to be harmed weren't harmed. 
And, and, you know, well, did you tag it in Jesus name on the end of that? You know, this person be harmed in Jesus name. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. If you're not praying and if you're not sending out energy and life and joy and goodness to bring good things, but you're, but you're saying prayers as magic incantations with wrong motives to get stuff for yourself, then you're not praying in Jesus name. And that's what the passage is meant uh, by that. And, and so just remember this guys, when, when you read the Bible, it is really important. Like I think every Christian should tell themselves when they pick up the Bible, this was not written by an American and it was not written for 21st century Americans. That doesn't mean it's irrelevant for 21st century, but it was written by first century Palestinians to an audience of, of first century Middle Easterners. And so we have to understand what the culture, words have meaning, not because they were spoken a zillion years ago, but because they have meaning in the context of a community and culture. And so what is written in the Bible had a meaning in that culture that we have to interpret, okay, this, knowing the history as best we can, this is what it would have meant. It didn't mean tag in Jesus' name on the end of a prayer. Nobody in first century Palestine would have understood that to mean that. So, so therefore, it doesn't mean that. Um, but what it meant was, I am a follower of teacher Joel, so I'm a Joelian, or I'm a follower of teacher Fred, I'm a Fredian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian. I live a life that looks like my teacher, uh, and and that's what it means. And so we can't like a lot of times people will hear a verse like Jesus saying, you know, birds have nests, foxes have dens, but the son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. And they'll say, see, Jesus lived in poverty and was homeless. Well, that's that's not exactly true. He wasn't saying in I don't have a place to lay my head. He wasn't saying he was homeless to be a a revered and honored teacher in that culture was a very uh, powerful, loved, respected, and lucrative, you know, profession. And I'm not saying Jesus was wealthy, but what what one thing we do know is the Bible tells us there were two to three women that were very wealthy that were helping to fund Jesus' ministry. And again, looking at that culture and that that time of Palestine, when a revered teacher came to a village. That village got very excited. Oh, we've been blessed that the teacher has come. And so they would put up the teacher. They would put up his entourage, which, which often they were, they were very big. Jesus had more than 100 people following him around, not just, not just his 12 disciples. He had a huge entourage following him around. That's why it made everybody nervous when he came into Jerusalem, because he was bringing a big crowd of followers with him. And so the village would put up the teacher and all of his entourage, feed them, give them a place to sleep and live while he was there teaching. And then when his time was done and the teacher was packing up to leave, they would give them food and gifts and money to send them on their way to the next village. And, and the other thing we know is the Bible says Judas was stealing from the money purse of the group. And so if you're destitute and only have two coins in the money purse and somebody steals one of them, you're going to notice it's missing. But if you have 
200 coins in the money purse and somebody steals one of them, it's much harder to recognize that money has been stolen. So be careful not to read a verse in the Bible or the the one the poor you will always have with you. Jesus was saying, hey, you know, you're just always going to have poor. That's not what that means. And I'll go into that on another Bible talk at another time. In Jesus' name is not a magic incantation to put on the end of a Bible of a prayer to make it valid. Uh, it is, in fact, uh, a way of saying, I want to be seen and known as a follower of Jesus. So I look like him and my prayers to the divine, to the universe, to God, however you interpret that that prayer or that sense to go is done in alignment with a heart that looks like your teacher, Jesus Christ. All right. That's my Bible talk for this week. Um, don't forget, go to my website, pastor-paul.com. Like Jesus, I, I ask people to help uh, keep my ministry going. And so you can subscribe on there. We have a newsletter. We have a community chat board. We have a whole bunch of cool things. Or I provide coaching and mentorship services called Deconstruction You and Reconstruction You. Deconstruction You is my biblical work with people who are like, hey, I've, I've left my church community, but I don't want to leave the faith. Can you help me start to work this through? And Reconstruction You is what we do in more of, a, a lot of it's in the business world. How do you start to learn an identity that makes you personally powerful and starts to really craft a story that belongs to you so you can be powerful in how you interact with your family, with your coworkers, and with the world and ultimately be able to live a life, like Jesus said, a life to the full or abundant, and to do so in a way that is fulfilling, sustainable, and filled with purpose. And so that's Reconstruction You. The website is pastor-paul.com. And as much as you can, like my videos, share them, help get this word out that God is not mad at you. We are amazing creatures when we love each other and we become capable of really horrible things when we start to be taught that we are part of an exclusive sect and we're allowed to not love those who are around us. You are beautiful and wonderful, fearfully and wonderfully made in all of your parts, in all of your flaws. You are amazing. Don't let any indoctrination of any church tell you differently. Think, love, grow. And don't be afraid like these Christian commenters you see down here that have to put things in terms of demons and going to hell and all those things because they have no content and no ability to think and be introspective because their bad religion has taken away their eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. And they have become hard-hearted to truth. But you, Jesus said, when you push away from that, you get the blessing of knowing the things the prophets of old long to know. So I give you permission and affirmation to get out of that indoctrination echo chamber and pursue the truth of heaven. All right. Good night, everybody. Love you guys.